0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey. I'm your host, per usual. Uh, let me get the usual spiel out of the way. If you could please uh, interact with the product somehow, if you're on, you know, uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, iTunes changed, didn't it? I can't keep track with how many of these things change all these these days, but. Uh, if you're, you're using Apple Podcasts or again, kind of the iTunes thing, if you could give us a star rating, leave us a review, would help tremendously. That's one of the metrics that a lot of people care a lot about when they look at making decisions and stuff. So that would help a lot. Any other platform you happen to be on, if you could interact with the product, a like, uh, any sort of comments if available, always helps. Uh, let's see. And oh, share. Duh. Last one. If you could share, please, uh, anyone you know who you think might be interested, uh, if you have a social media account, please uh, let people know. That would help a lot. It's, if you've done everything else, then that's really the only other thing I can ask of you. So thank you in advance. Helps a great deal. All right, on the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 51, this coming week UFC on ESPN Plus 52, and some minor, I suppose minor news, been a pretty quiet week. Uh, the UFC is kind of just keeping the machinery ticking for another couple of weeks before we get to some bigger events. So when that ha- and that happens from time to time, you just get lull periods. So uh, with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into last night UFC on ESPN Plus 51. I think I was a little too hard on this card last week when I did the preview. I Got re-looking at it over the week, and it wasn't as bad as I made it seem. It wasn't terribly relevant, and, well, in practice, we'll get into some things, but I do feel I was a touch hard on it. I don't feel that way about next week's card, but we'll get to that in a bit. Your main event... Man... When I saw the odds on, on this fight, okay, main event, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker. Like, the big stretch of odds wasn't even who would win like the odds were close they favored santos like if you here's the way you won money on this fight if you bet that it went the distance right like what whoever you thought was going to win if you bet on this fight going all five rounds you got paid big i mean i think they mentioned it on air so whoever the ufc does there has do their odds for them they'll Odds like this always vary a little bit depending on which source you're going through, but they usually—they're not usually that far out of alignment. The—you uh, know—the whole market for betting like this is usually not identical, but close enough in line. I think uh, Santos was like plus 500 to win by decision, and Walker plus 600. Like you could have thrown a hundred bucks on either of on both of them. Throw a hundred on each to win via decision and get paid out like everybody in their dog thought for sure no no I mean the over under on this was set like like a round and a half All I to do was bet the over on that I would have bet the over on that and even if you think you're, even if you genuinely think this is going to end via some form of stoppage betting the over on that is just smart It's just good value so I don't talk about the gambling on this a whole lot for fairly uh mostly because I don't want to get anyone in trouble taking my stupid betting advice so I don't give it but uh, at the end of the day, Tiago Santos defeats Johnny Walker via unanimous decision, 48-47 across the board. Uh, doing this live, I was 49-46. Uh, but the fourth round could easily have gone to Walker. I'm not, I'm not dying on the hill of my scorecard on that, and I don't, I don't object to giving it to Walker. I mean, who cares? This fight was not good. It wasn't a terrible. Like, this is not, I don't think this is going on my list of worst fights of the year. But it wasn't... It wasn't good. Uh, the first round in particular was just terrible. Things got a little bit... Things picked up a little bit as the fight wore on, but... I don't know. I think maybe the third round was the best round. Um, The first round was... Like, Tiago Santos didn't really throw anything... Johnny Walker threw a few things and won the round. Second round, Tiago Santos threw a few more things. And the things he landed had a bit more impact than the things Walker landed. Three Santos actually kind of finally got going. He landed some good body kicks. couple of decent punches. Round four was back to almost parity. And then round five was a lot of parity until Santos landed a left hand at one point. Easily the best punch of the round. Uh, this was not a good fight. And I'm trying to remember the... I think I know the exact moment I realized this fight was going to suck. And it started a little bit after the co-main event, which as a fight I'll get to in a second. But they just... Because the the co-main event ended fairly quickly, they had to do a bit of vamping uh, to fill the production time, right? And I just got thinking, you know, Tiago Santos has a reputation. That is partially deserved. And Johnny Walker... uh, For, you know, being this, like... Destroyer. And Tiago Santos... Don't get me wrong... He can end your night... In a hurry. But... There's a couple of considerations... That have to go along with this. One, he's had duds. Okay, even if we go back to before... The big turning point for him was his title fight with Jon Jones... Which I, I will get to in a second. But... If we go back through... Since he moved up to light heavyweight, he beat Eric Anders, um, which was between rounds three and four of their main event in 2018. That wasn't bad. It was a bit slower paced, but a lot of... A fair amount of stuff went back and forth. Um, His win over Kevin Holland. Sorry, that was his last middleweight fight. That wasn't very good. Uh, He knocks out Jimmy Manawa. That was okay. The fight with Blahovic was a bit I think was the one that should have been a bit more telling. It's not two rounds of nothing and then a stoppage 40 seconds into the third, but it's pretty close. Then he gets the title shot, loses a split decision to John Jones that I I still don't know what that judge was looking at to score that fight for Santos, but whatever. In the course of that fight, both of his knees get seriously screwed up. I mean, seriously screwed up. Um, one of his knees required two different surgeries. Like he was, he got damaged, and he hasn't been the same since. He comes back eventually, fights Glover to share. That's a little bit back and forth before he's eventually finished. Then his last fight, the Ra- uh, his fight with Alexander Rakic. uh he didn't do almost anything. Lost that fight clean over three rounds. And it just kind of occurred to me, you know, not only is the man not the same as he used to be, even when he was that, it was, it wasn't a, you know, a horrible sell job. It was, he just wasn't quite what was being presented. He was still dangerous. He was certainly still a fighter that was a very high level fighter, but he just wasn't quite what was advertised. And that's the fault of advertisers, not the fault of Tiago Santos, clear about that but then you 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 counterpoint that with johnny walker who is why everyone if you've only seen his ufc run you think of him as this you know just kind of wild man a, a hurricane of activity and that's really not like if you can find some of his other like more regional stuff please do so It's still a little bit that kind of wild, live-by-the-sword, die-by-the-sword stuff, but there's also some, there's a bit, there's lulls in there, and he gets countered a lot, and I think he's become aware of that. So, he's, he's a guy who's in, he is not the only person who will have this problem, he's not, uh, be that in the past or in the future. But what works on the more regional level doesn't usually lead to sustained success at the UFC level. This, is, this shouldn't surprise anyone. The level of competition is much higher. So your ability to do the wild and wacky stuff that blows the doors off of people who aren't nearly as athletic as you, aren't nearly as big as you. Johnny Walker's huge. That man is six six. Like, Tiago Santos is not at all a small man, and then standing next to Johnny Walker, Walker is... he's a big guy. But as you lose... as that gap in, you know, kind of athleticism is closed by appropriate technique, appropriate experience on the other end, If when the same old tricks don't work, you have to find new stuff, and Johnny Walker has been doing a little bit of that. In the wake of losing to Corey Anderson and Nikita Krylov, he's been trying to, you know, change things up, which is not the worst thing in the world. It does mean that there's growing pains. And I think I knew this was going to be terrible when he's walking out and I see John Kavanaugh in his corner. He, I don't think this was his first camp with SBG Ireland or John Kavanaugh, And I really don't mean to suggest that John Kavanaugh's a bad coach. Quite to the contrary. John Cavanaugh is a very good coach. It's more that when you take someone who is wild and unpredictable like that and you try to get them into a a system, there's some very serious growing pains. I mean, to say this again, Johnny Walker is not the first person that this has been true for, nor will he be the last. And it doesn't quite seem like those two have figured each, each other out yet, as far as, you know, coach and fighter. Uh, and you factor in again, Tiago Santos being a guy with a little bit gun-shy now, looking more to counter with seriously damaged knees, and it just, it just didn't feel right. You know, you, you look at this on the paper, and wow, Tiago Santos, he's going to fight Johnny Walker. It's going to be crazy. No. No. Like, three years ago, four years ago, would have been nuts. Uh, Let's go three. Yeah, you can go about three years back. So, 2018, 19, you go a few years back, yeah, that would have been nuts. Neither of those guys is that guy anymore, for any number of reasons. I I think that's just kind of when I... Re- the the pieces really the pieces of data really kind of crystallized for me when, oh this is not going to be good and then after the f- especially after the first round got done like once that round goes that way you know you're going the distance we all had we- you should know like okay you're not guaranteed there's still especially with these two guys like there's still the possibility of a finish but If they're both like this, and they're going to fight this way, and they both present these weapons, unless somebody has some new trick to pull out, we're going all five rounds. And we did, and it wasn't great. Uh, After the fight, hilarious bit of a soundbite that came out after this. Tiago Santos was kind of asked about his fight with Alexander Rakic. And he said, no, I don't like that guy. He makes me fight boring. Buddy, I just watched your five-round fight here, and Alexander Rakich was nowhere near that cage. What's your excuse this time? Look, I I get that Rakich has shifted his style just a bit, and now he's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. I don't care. That man wins, and wins pretty consistently. His only UFC loss was a split decision that, again, I I think he should have won. Uh I don't know what's next for Thiago Santos. I I've said this light heavyweight is just I don't care. Uh you've got with Teixeira and Blahovic coming up on the at the end of the month. So we got a while, but I I really don't know. I mean, he's still going to be doing another ranked opponent, but uh he's The best of Tiago Santos is pretty firmly behind him at this point. I mean, he's... He's 37. And 205, and... It's a division that might be a bit more... Well, it's a bit friendlier to people as they age than some of the lighter weight classes, but... 37 is still 37, man. And off of the serious damage your knees took... I mean... I forget all that happened to his right knee. But his left knee was, like... uh, His left knee was everything, right? ACL, PCL, MCL, meniscus. Like, everything in his left knee was trashed. Uh, His right... I don't think his right knee was as bad, but it was still not good. Like, he got... torn up. And... Knee injuries like that at that age, you're just never going to be the same. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially since he's not that much older than I am, but that's reality. So, as for Walker, he's still trying to figure himself out, I think, as a fighter. He came in, he did all the flashy stuff, and he's got power, but the flashy kind of wild man, that doesn't work at the highest level. And he ran up against that problem pretty clearly when he fought both Anderson and Krylov. So he's got to figure out a way to... uh, a better strategy. And is John Kavanaugh the right guy to do that for him? I don't know. Uh, He could very well be. We might just be going through growing pains. There's a learning curve whenever you change coaches. We might be getting a bit of that. He might be in the wrong place and we wind up having to revisit this conversation in a bit. I don't know. Uh, but right now, I mean, he'll probably drop a bit, but light heavyweight is still not exactly the greatest division in the world. It's not as bad as it was, you know, three years ago, but it's still, you know, it's still not great. So he might Walker mentioned, I think in the lead up to this, or it was a talking point that came out. I forget where he wanted to do the double champ thing, light heavyweight and heavyweight. I'm not calling for the man to move up to heavyweight right away. But he's a... How old is Johnny Walker? Hang on. But one, he's a big guy. Okay, he's only 29. He's fought at heavyweight before. What a stupid reach. He's got 82 inches of reach. He's a big guy, man. He's just a big guy. He might... I don't think he's ever missed weight. Uh, no, I, I don't think he has. Maybe part of the reason he fought so much at 205 was uh, that it was easier for him to avoid uh, consequences for his wildness. There's The margin for error at heavyweight is a lot smaller. But if he wants to fight a bit more like this, maybe heavyweight would be a better fit for him at this point. I don't know. I mean, maybe the weight cut's becoming an issue. Like I said, he's never missed weight. I don't think he's ever had any real problems, but when you're as big as he is, I'm just saying we shouldn't rule it out. So I don't know where he goes next, but this was not... The man's now 1-3 in, in his last four fights, and that's not a good spot for anybody to be, even at 205. And Santos is one and three in his last... Like, these two guys came in and fought like two people who were not on good... not in a good place in their career. So, that was your main event. Co-main event, this is probably going to deserve a little bit more discussion, I think. Kevin Holland and Kyle Dawkins goes to a no contest. 343 of the first round. These two were getting after it early. You want to give them credit for that. Then... Dawkus is fighting Southpaw, Holland is fighting Orthodox. Holland comes in, swings a punch. Dawkus, you know, moving uh, moves in as well at the same time, and they kind of and they bash heads. And Holland gets flash knocked out. There's not really another way to say that. He gets uh, kind of the the top-ish part of Dawkus's head cracks into his jaw, and he face plants. Now the referee, this is Dan Mergliotta, goes to stop the fight. In the time it... This is what I say when I mean this was a flash knockout. Mergliatta kind of got over towards them, looking to stop it. And then Holland rolled. Uh, he, not a full-on Granby roll, but he kind of rolled and immediately started recovering guard. And by the time Mergliata got around, he, for whatever reason, decided... I... Uh, he, he signaled for replay. So he wanted the outside official to look at it. That was Herb Dean. And he let the fight continue. And Dawkus is able to... Beat up... This goes for a while still. So, like, this was not a quick thing. There was another minute or so of action. I, I don't remember exactly, but... I mean, it might be an exaggeration. But it, it was probably around that. Uh, 30 to 40 seconds. Give or take, I think. And... Dawkus is able to eventually get a standing rear naked choke and submit Kevin Holland. And what happens after the fact is what, what's a little bit weird here. So, Merglietta goes out and looks at the replay. He wants to confirm kind of what he saw about the clash of heads. He and Herb Dean get their heads together. A co- I have a gripe about this. The officials are conferring. And a couple of UFC employees come over and have their kind of heads in the conversation. One of them is UFC matchmaker Sean Shelby. The other is Mark Ratner. Now, Ratner might have a history as a a regulator and an official, and he certainly does. At the moment, that is not his position. He is the UFC's vice president of regulatory affairs. No UFC employee had any business discussing or potentially influencing what took place there. There's the actual, the actual, an actual commission representative is on hand. They're the ones that any questions should be directed to about uh, techniques or legalities. The UFC personnel have, they potentially have a stake in this. They might want one guy to win over the other. They should not be in any position to influence the outcome of a fight like this. That's profoundly unethical. I believe it's It's unethical at a minimum. Depending on how you want to interpret what took place, it might be illegal. I have a a serious problem with that. Uh, The decision that Mergliata arrives at is something along the following. The clash of heads knocked Kevin Holland out. And with that being the case, the fight would have been a no contest because it was an accidental clash of heads. And because the entire sequence continued essentially straight through to the finish, and while some other time passed, there was never, to his credit, there was never a break in the action. There was never a point when Holland got full guard, held on, and we just spent, you know, 20 seconds chilling. Right? That never happened. And because the, the accidental foul led so directly to the circumstances of the finish, they decided, he decided to go with a no contest. At face value, I'm okay with this, believe it or not, because it did that time they clashed heads, and that very much impacted what happened there's there's no getting around that fact so i'm I'm okay with that. I have a better question here, and i I don't know the answer, so I'm gonna be. I'm going to be doing some research. I'm going to see what other people have to say. Because this is going to come up. I'm not the only one who's going to be talking about this. I don't know why... Actually, I think I do. But after the clash of heads... I don't know why the referee didn't stop the action. Beca- and acknowledge the foul. Because you could restart the fight... That's one of the provisos in Nevada's use of instant replay. The fight can be restarted. I think they're the only state that does that, and God bless them for it. It's the right call. But you saw that clash of heads. Kevin Holland face plants. You halt the fight for the foul. You double-check with instant replay that, if you're the ref, that you saw it correctly, that it was a foul. And then... This might be a little bit stretching the line here, but you just see if the other guy can continue. So you whatever criteria you have for determining whether or not a fighter can continue, you go to Kevin Holland, how many fingers am I holding up? Where are you? what day is it? You know whatever you do. And if he can't, then we have a no contest. If he can, you know you give him a sec to recover from the foul. you've determined that he can continue and you restart the fight now that might all make sense as i say it there might be specifics legally about the in the rules of combat where if the ref stops the fight uh it can't be restarted in this case because kevin holland it was stopped because haven't kevin holland couldn't continue which would open up a new wrinkle now how do you determine whether or not a fight was stopped because one party couldn't continue or you were double checking the foul when the foul could have led to the stoppage you see how some of the problems start to build here? How we get into these weird little questions? I think that's just down to the ref. So I would have, my preference, I would have preferred that they stop the fight after they clash heads. You determine that it was a foul if you're the ref. You double check with Holland, see if he can continue or not. And if he can't, we're have a no, we done right there. If he can, then we just restart the fight. Now, obviously, that's not what happened, but that would be that would have been my preferred method of handling this. That said, you have the one ref in the cage, and you have the one replay ref, and these people are doing the best they can with wild in real time with a lot of you know, stuff they have to handle. I'm, I don't want to dump on it, the referees too much for this because I think I don't know. I think they were doing the best job that they could, and I don't even. I don't even necessarily disagree with Mergliata's decision at the end of the day that the entire thing was started because of this foul and I don't feel good about you getting the win off of that even somewhat down the line. Now, uh, you're going to get inconsistency when it comes to officiating. This is true of every sport because you can only micromanage so much. Uh, you can try to limit it you can try to streamline it you can try to make it so everybody is everybody at least understands uh, the likelihood but there's always just gonna be uh, a little bit of variance a little bit of the human element thrown in there. I'm okay with the outcome as a fan they they should just do a rematch as quickly as possible uh. As far as the fight itself, for as long as it lasted, it was good action. Both men got after it. Both men were able to land punches. Uh, was shaping up to be a good fight. So, shame about what happened. It sucks. Unfortunately, there's very little you can do. And I don't say that as some kind of, you know, put my hands up in the air and not hold people accountable. I mean fighters, especially opposite stances. They bang heads, sometimes intentionally. Henry Cejudo. Uh... Sorry. I shouldn't only throw him there, but uh, Cejudo's fairly notorious for it. Um, Benavides, Joseph Benavides, was pretty bad about it. Uh, when guys close distance, they lower their level and they lead with the top of their head. And they're not really trying to headbutt you in the sense that the goal is to headbutt you, but that's what's coming forward along with the punches, and it happens. And it sucks. And it's against the rules, but most of the time, most, it isn't. I mean, it happens in boxing, too. Sometimes with more, you know, questionable legal, uh, with more questionable following of the rules. Sometimes it's, uh, it, it. ultimately it does just kind of happen sometimes, and it sucks. But... You're never going to remove some of these fouls when they come up. I mean, in boxing, people wind up stepping on each other's feet all the time. All the time might be a bit of a stretch, but it happens. Sometimes it's deliberate and dirty, and sometimes it's just people in opposite stances going different directions. It happens, and there's not—you're never going to really be able to fully, you know, completely regulate this out. There's just too much chaos. Even in highly refined sports, you, you're you not going to find a much more refined sport in the combat sports space than boxing. And this kind of stuff still happens there. It happens in wrestling. I doesn't happen as much if you start using implements. So like fencing doesn't get these same kind of problems. But it it just happens. And you can't ever fully get rid of it. So it sucks. Hope they make the rematch. Both men looked okay for as long as it lasted. Bad 2021 for Kevin Holland. After the man went five and zero in 2020 and capped that off with a big win over Jacare Souza, he's zero and two with one no contest in 2021. Not so good. Uh, next up, Nico Price defeated Alex Oliveira via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Round one to Price, fairly ho-hum round. Round two to Olivera, another fairly ho-hum round. Round three was where things got a little bit spicy. Uh, round three, I think, was what we expected more throughout the rest of the fight, but Price wins the last round, wins the fight. Wasn't, we're not talking about a great fight, not even a great three-round fight, but it was certainly enjoyable. Uh, let's see, Christoph Yatko defeated Misha Surkinov via split decision, 29-28s. Um, I scored this for Jotko. This wasn't a great fight. Um, Serkinov looks like that. He has not quite figured out that cut. Which is not, he didn't, he made weight. I, I want to be clear. He made weight and the man is shredded at 185. But there's making the weight and then there's making the weight and being able to perform. And he hasn't, I don't think he's quite found that balance. But... I mean, Yakko is no—he's a Yakko's a pretty tough ask for your debut at middleweight. So I think he'll try that one more time, assuming he sticks around. I mean, for a guy who was once thought to be a serious—a uh, lot of people, myself included—thought he was going to be a player at light heavyweight. Then he loses to—he loses to Uzdemir in 30 seconds. Follows that up with a really lackluster outing against Glover Teixeira. Beats Patrick Cummins. Loses to Johnny Walker. Beats Jimmy Crute. And the Crute win was pretty good. But the loss to Span was really not good. And this was uh, just kind of lifeless. Now, I'll give him a bit of credit in this one. Because the first time cutting from 205 to 185, uh, figuring that out can't be easy. So... I'd give him one more shot, but he's on real thin ice. Uh, as for Yatko, a fairly typical Christoph Yatko fight. he's on a good run. He's four and one in his last five, uh, only lost to Sean Strickland, so he's a he's probably due someone not in the top fifteen, but f- somewhere in that proximity, I imagine. Uh, And kicking off the main card, Alexander Hernandez defeated Mike Breeden via knockout punches, uh, 120 of the first. Uh, Hernandez was supposed to fight somebody else. Who was he supposed to fight? Leonardo Santos. Um, Breeden took this fight on short notice. He missed weight. I'll give him a bit of a pass. He's he's bigger than Hernandez. I I imagine lightweight is... It's clearly doable for him, but that's probably a more... I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room when he makes that weight, So trying to do it on shorter notice just uh, didn't seem like it was going to happen. Good enough win for Hernandez. Uh, you know, for a fight that lasted 80 seconds, it wasn't bad. Uh, that was your main card. As for the prelims, Jared Gordon defeated Joe Selecki via split decision. They were 29-28s. Uh, this was a good little fight. Selecki's first round. Selecki's back control. Is absurd. Like, Jared Gordon is not a chump grappler. And Selecki controlled and rode him for four minutes. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, Gordon's recovery from that and uh, what he did after was... I mean, that was impressive to come back from that kind of a bad round. He didn't take a ton of damage, but... You can be defeated mentally if you just get controlled like that for that long. That was... That was impressive from Selecki, so good on Gordon to bounce back and uh, win the last two rounds. They had a decent little fight. Uh, Casey O'Neal defeated Antonina Shevchenko via TKO. Punches from the mount at 447 of the second. Uh, O'Neal's ring craft needs work. She's very linear. She spent a lot of the first round getting circled and angled on. Uh, She even got taken down, and that's really her strength is getting on top. Her takedowns need work. Her ring needs work. But if she does get on top, she's heavy, and I don't mean that as some kind of uh, you know, body shaming. Like you don't need to be a big person to be heavy on top if you know how to use your hips and your weight. Like you can just be a heavy presence on top. She when she gets on top, she is heavy. She is not easy to get out from under. She's got good passing and she has some nasty nasty ground and pound. So O'Neal's legit. Uh, as for Shevchenko, well, at this point, I'm not saying she should be cut loose at all, but she's kind of here just because her younger sister is, you know, one of the best female fighters in the world. Well, uh, I mean, she earned her way under onto the, onto the UFC, but she's just kind of been, I think this pushed her under 500 in the UFC, right? Double-check that. Come on. So, she's now... Yeah, she's now three and four in the UFC. So, to the extent that she sticks around, a lot of that might just be to keep Valentina happy. Uh, Let's see. Um, Carol Hosa defeated Betch Kohe of a unanimous decision. 230-27, 26 I was 30-27. I don't disagree with 30-26. The second round in particular was all Carol Rosa. Koheya uh, missed weight. Hosa uh, just kind of beat the crap out of her. It's not to say that Koheya didn't land anything. She had a couple of decent body shots along the way. A few okay leg kicks. But she got kind of sniped at distance. Or, knee, or, you know, anytime they got into the clinch, she was taking knees to the body. This... Hulsa was tied with Hernandez as the biggest favorite on the whole card, and it showed. This was Koheya's last fight, apparently. She announced re- she had announced that in the lead-up. Uh, she retired afterwards. Hulsa uh, was like 15th, 15th or 14th coming into this. She's not lost in the UFC. She's not lost at all since 2018. Um, this was her second opponent in the UFC to miss weight. Yeah, she beat Laura Copio, Vanessa Mello, Jocelyn Edwards, and Betz Cohea. Let's get her some ranked opposition. She was ranked coming into this, and I think it's time we give her a sterner test, yeah? Uh, let's see. Uh, lightweight, Jamie Malarkey defeated Devontae Smith via TKO punches, 251 of the second. Smith had a good first round, he had faster hands. Landed some good punches, but... Uh, Malarkey's pressure just kind of kept getting to him and kept getting to him as the fight wore on. And then in the second round, Malarkey gets him against the fence. He wobbles him. He hits him to the... He would, landed some gnarly body shots, and that's what ultimately dropped Smith and put him down. Uh, gritty win for Malarkey. You know, he had to come back from... A round he lost, but it wasn't a... I mean, there were some U- some people, I think might have been like the UFC's... Uh, one of the UFC's official social media accounts... One that they highlighted that said, boy, that was a Darren Elkins-like comeback. Uh Uh-uh. Malarkey didn't... He lost that first round, but he didn't take nearly the kind of abuse that Darren Elkins does. Uh, Good stuff from Malarkey. Smith can maybe use this as a learning experience. I hope he does. He's got a lot of upside. Uh, He just needs to work a little bit on his cage craft, throwing a few more punches. He's one of those guys that tends to do just like two at most three at a time, and that's you got to be able to put together longer combinations if you want to find a lot of success. So, yeah, this was a good fight. Let's see. Bantamweight Douglas Silva. DeAndrage defeated Gaetano Perello via knockout. 204 4 the first. Perello throwing a, was uh, orthodox at the time. Throwing just a step-up lead leg roundhouse kick, and DeAndrage read it and crushed him with a left hook. That was all she wrote. Uh, let's see. Women's Bantamweight Stephanie Eggert defeated Shanna Young via TKO. Listed primarily as an elbow strike, which is accurate. Uh, 2.22 of the second. She was on top in full guard, just landed a couple of really good shots, including a nice elbow that Young reacted badly to. Like it went basically over her right eye, and she reached up to cover it, and the ref said, you know, move, fight back, and she... She kind of did stuff with her legs, but she was still very clearly favoring the eye. And the ref just kind of decided that was it. She didn't... I don't think she complained too much about the stoppage after the fact, which ought to tell you everything you need to know. Uh, Good win for Egger. And kicking everything off, Alejandro Perez defeated Johnny Eduardo via submission. This was a scarf-hold arm lock. You don't see those every day. Uh, 4.13 of the second. Uh... I believe this finishes up on the various social media accounts for the UFC, and I embedded one of them in my coverage of this event. Look it up if you can. Uh, scarf Hold stuff, or if you're of the more like Judo Persuasion, the kesagatami position, it's a little bit... Uh, you kind of got to be like the big brother, right? Big brothers get their little brothers down here in the headlock on the ground, and you know, that's where they do work. But if you can make your game from there work, that you need good technique to really... Kind of succeed there, but if you can, uh, you can do some stuff. You can do this. Uh, there's the you know, scar- the chest compressor that uh, Alexio Olenek uses. Josh Barnett's used it a few times too. Uh, having a good you know a, a good sequence of stuff from this position is something of a rarity. It's not it's not a position you find yourself in all that often. But you should know you should try to learn a few tricks from that from here just because you will find yourself here on occasion. And Perez had a really nice little uh, arm lock that went on here, so good on him, man. It was a fun little finish. The rest of the fight uh, wasn't bad. Eduardo was doing okay, but as soon as they hit the ground, it was pretty clear Perez had a significant advantage, and he used that to eventually end the fight. So your performances, such as they are, we have Casey... uh, There was no fight of the night, which... Uh, might have done, who, that, who might that have done dirty? Might have done, I can't even say Price and Oliveira. Because their third round was good, but, um, Holland and Dawkus were probably headed in this direction, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose I can agree with that. Maybe Gordon and Selecki got got a little bit shafted there. Maybe. But that would be the only argument, I think, is the one between those two. Uh, So we have Casey O'Neill So performances. Casey O'Neal, Jamie Malarkey, Douglas Silva, Dan, and Alejandro Perez. Uh, Again, Hernandez might have been shafted a little bit here for an individual performance, but I'm not going to argue with those four. They did good work. So... That's my thoughts on this. If you want my full report, including, which includes live play-by-play and my scoring, as well as embedded, embedded videos of finishes, when I can find them, over in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, please give it a read, leave a comment if you would be so kind. Okay, let's move on from an event that I was maybe a little bit too hard on to an event that, well, I'm going to be really hard on. UFC on ESPN Plus 52. Your main event is Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez. Now, this is not the worst fight in the world. I want to kind of stress that at first. Dern is on a good run. She's 11-1 overall. Uh, She armbarred Nina Nunes, the former Nina Ansaroff, in her last fight. That was back in April. She showed off some improved stand-up in 2020 when she beat Virna Jandiroba. Uh... Her jiu game is... Outstanding, of course. And she seems to have taken the loss... To Amanda Hebos And figured out what she was doing wrong... In that particular respect. So she's... She's been doing some solid work lately. In her last few fights in particular... She's lo- not just won... But looked pretty darn good along the way. Uh... So... And, uh... Sorry, Rodriguez will start working properly. Uh, she's only got one loss, a split decision to Carla Esparza that, I mean, you could have scored it for her. I'm pretty sure I scored it for Esparza, but that might also might have been one that I didn't. She has two draws, uh, one of which I think was, I think they were both accurate, actually, now that I, uh, now that I'm double-checking. But she's won her last two fights. She TKO'd Amanda Hebos and then beat Michelle Watterson via pretty clear decision. Uh, she's a good fighter. This is a good fight. It's a very relevant fight for strawweight. I mean, the top of strawweight's a little bit congested at the moment with the uh, Jean getting an immediate rematch. Uh, we still got Joanna floating out around floating around out there. Uh, when she decides to come back. I know she had that thing where she like cut her shin pretty badly and that's part of what led to her being out a little bit longer. Uh, you've got Carla Esparza floating around out there. She arguably should be getting a title shot. Uh, in fact, I think if you go on pure... You know, who's winning right now... She probably should have got it over Zhang getting a rematch. To be candid with you. But I didn't care. I, I did not care for the idea of the Zhang rematch. I've made my... And I talked about that previously. So I'm not going to repeat myself too much here. But... The winner of this... I mean... Could leapfrog Carla. I hate to say that because... I think, I think consistency and success should be rewarded, but the UFC is not going to bend over backwards to accommodate Carla spars And if, if Dern in particular, who is someone that has a decent amount of fan support, and the UFC would be happy to get behind, if she pulls off an impressive win, she might leapfrog Carla. Just throwing it out there. Um, my inclination is to pick Dern, but uh, this is a close fight. From what I can... From what I see. Rodriguez is a very good fighter, and that should not be overlooked. Or undersold. I think Dern's overall improvements recently to her striking combined with her really good r- jiu-jitsu game, and she's somewhat improved her takedown game. That was a big knock on her and a lot of jiu-jitsu practitioners for a while. Their takedown game is not that strong. Dern seems to have worked on that, and that's to be commended, so... I'm going to lean towards Dern, but that's not the worst. That's a pretty good fight. I mean, and for a fight night main event, eh, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, but we're just keeping the machinery turning. And I think it is probably the best fight on this card, in fairness to its position here. Next up, we have Randy Brown, who beat Alex Oliveira last time. That was in April... He got pretty violently finished by Vicente Luque before that. Uh, he's fighting Jared Gooden. Now, Gooden just barely got his first UFC win. He lost his first two fights to Alan Joban and Abubakar Nurmagomedov. He beat Nicholas Stolce, but... Uh, yeah, this seems like they're trying to rehab Randy Brown just a bit. Uh, Which is odd because, you know, he's won more than he's lost in the UFC by a fair margin. This is UFC record. He's seven and what, four? I mean, that's not great, but it's a winning record and that's certainly not nothing. But uh, this should be Randy Brown. See, Flyweight, Tim Elliott and Matthias Nikolaou. That's a bit of an odd one. I mean, not one to predict. Nikolai's a bit underappreciated. He's fought a little bit between bantamweight and flyweight. Um, his first UFC run went three and one, four and one. Yeah, three and one, including wins over John Moraga and Luis Smolka before he was finished by Dustin Ortiz and then left. Uh, he, he was released from the UFC after that one. He won a couple of fights and then came back beating Manal Kopp in his last fight. It was a terrible fight. Well, terrible might be a bit of a stretch, but it wasn't good. Um, Logically, Elliot here. I mean, Elliot's long in the tooth. He's 34, which is rather old for a flyweight. Not only is he 34, he's been fighting for a while, since 2009. No, he's on a two-fight winning streak, though, which is not nothing. Uh, I'm gonna pick Elliot, but uh, yeah I'm just gonna pick Elliot. I, I feel okay. I feel pretty confident with that. Women's flyweight Sabina Mazzo and Maria Agapova. Let's see Mazzo three and two in the UFC, lost to Alexis Davis. Her last okay that was her debut at bantamweight. Might just be a bridge too far in terms of weight. Whereas uh, Agapova Agapova. I can't remember how she prefers that pronounced. Some Kazakhstan. Which would think should help. Uh, she gained some notoriety in her UFC debut by fighting like a bat out of hell. Then she tried that again against Shauna Dobson and faded horribly after about four minutes and got finished in the second round. Um, I'm going to lean towards Mazo here, but if you can't survive that. That three and a half to four minute fir- that first three and a half minutes or so of uh, Maria Agapova she's a hurricane that that woman is a tornado of activity for that period of time. If you can survive that she can't she does not really fight at a sustainable pace so you got to be aware of that but if you can she fades really badly and kicking off the main card we have Phil Hawes and Daron Wynn um let's see Haas is on a good winning streak actually his last loss was when he got head kicked by julian marquez in 2017. he's won what six or seven since then Yeah, seven including three wins in the ufc i kind of thought that his fight with uh nasruddin Imovov should have been a draw but eh uh beat Kyle Dawkins his last time out. Phil Haas is a physical specimen. Uh Duron Wynn. Let's see. He's struggled to make this weight. Um his UFC record right now is two and two. Coming off of a win. I mean, he's a really good wrestler when he chooses to use it, but he does a lo- he does a lot of the oh, I like to brawl shtick. And if he tries to brawl with Phil Haas, that will go badly. I, I think I'm gonna lean towards Haas. Um, when it's not that he's bad, he's not at all a bad fighter, but I don't think I've really seen him kind of find find his groove yet. So gonna go with Haas. I mean, that's your main card. Prelims, Chris Gutierrez versus Felipe Colares. Probably go with Gutierrez here. Uh, Yeah, he's only got one loss in the UFC. Whereas uh, Colares has been a little more up and down. But not a bad fight. See, middleweight, Jamie Pickett and Loriano Staropoli. Probably lean towards Staropoli. Um, Heavyweight, Alexander Romanov. And Jared Vanderah should probably go. I feel okay picking Romanov here. I mean, he's undefeated. He's fourteen and zero. He's coming off of uh, a technical decision that was a little bit one. I don't think he should have won. I scored that. I scored that for it was Juan Espino he fought. I scored that for Espino. They were. They had split the first and second rounds coming into the third, and we had an accidental growing strike uh, a minute into the third round. So in the third round, what happens in this case? You score the round to that point, and then you ha- and that uh, and that's what informs the scorecards. I don't know how they gave Romanov that minute of action, personally. So I thought he lost that fight, but he should probably win here without too much uh, without too much difficulty. Featherweight Charles Rosa and Damon Jackson. Rosa's a tough guy, man. I mean, Jackson is one and one in the UFC. He's in second stint, right? Yeah, he had a weird He had a weird run his first time through. Lost to Yancey Medeiros. Uh Got choked out by Hani Jason. That got overturned after Jason uh, tested positive for a diuretic. And then fought to a draw against Levon Makashvili. After Makashvili was deducted points. Uh, Fought his way back to the UFC. Beat uh, beat Mirsad Bektich, Lost to Ilya Taporia. Probably going to go Rosa here. Um... Look, Rose has been very up and down in his UFC career. In fact, he has traded lot wins and losses his entire run. He's what? 5 and 5? Five? Yeah, he's 5 and 5. He won his last fight, so he's probably going to lose here if that pattern holds, but he's just a hard guy to really kind of get a hold of. He's a very active grappler. He the big problem that he's run into is he's very accepting of bottom position. And that's not really the best idea. His last two wins are split decisions, though. I seem to recall scoring at least... The most recent one, I'm pretty sure I scored for him, but I can't remember the Aguilar one. Uh, I'm going to pick him here, but... uh, That's a guy that really needs to figure out a consistent way to win. Women's strawweight, uh, Lupita Godinez and Sam Hughes. Probably going to lean Godinez here. I might feel very, very stupid about that later. And kicking everything off at lightweight, Steve Garcia and will fight Charlie Ontiveros. Um, Garcia lost his UFC debut when he fought Luis Pena. Ontiveros got slammed. Oh, who slammed him? Hang on. He had his UFC debut, and then uh, it ended after he got slammed, and he like felt his neck was messed up. Which I don't I don't begrudge him at all. Holland, yeah, it was Kevin Holland slammed him. Um, hmm. what Do I like here? Prob- uh, probably Garcia, but. I don't know. That might be unfair to Ontiveros. Ontiveros' chin is a little bit suspect. All seven of his losses are some form of TKO stoppage. Yeah, I'm gonna go Garcia, but again, I'm not completely sold on that. Uh, all right. That is your event. You like said that's not that's not a great night of fights on paper. Might be really good in practice. Who knows? But. There's not a whole lot to get potentially excited about here. Uh, Just calling it like I see it, guys. Uh, Okay, let's move on. Uh, uh, Sorry, the only bit of news I have here, then I'm going to check Twitter. UFC 267 required some uh, sort of rejiggering, but it was successfully kind of monkeyed with. So while your main event is still in place, Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira mentioned last week that uh, Aljamain Sterling had had to pull out of his rematch with Peter Jan after his neck issues were still lingering. And look, man, I don't begrudge the guy your health, especially your neck. You know, you don't mess, especially with like neurological stuff. You don't screw around with that. I think that's that's not something you play with. So if he needs more time your quality of life is more important than any one fight, my opinion. Now, whether that means the UFC should strip him of the title or not, well, that's a more, you can disagree with my position on that if you like, but that's a different thing. So, and look, maybe it's entirely too early, and maybe you give him another few months to see if this will, if he's able to get something scheduled, but, I mean, if you're Aljamain Sterling, get your neck healthy, man. Don't. Don't play around with that. But stepping in for him is going to be Corey Sandhagen. And so him and Peter Jan will now be fighting for the interim bantamweight title. It indicated this was what was coming up, and I can't say I'm surprised. I mean Shaw, I mentioned this before. Sean O'Malley said, you know, give me that fight, and then I don't think he's beaten a ranked fighter. Uh, they did, I think, indicate a fight for O'Malley that would be against some ranked opposition, so good. Uh, with Dillashaw out, still dealing with his own kind of post-surgery stuff, and especially if you're like me, or a sane person scoring, and thought that Sandhagen beat Dillashaw, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say like a sane person there, but <sighs> that's that's one that I understand how we got to a split, mostly because I I give. I give the understanding that some people just don't score properly. (laughs) Um, Sandhagen should have won that fight. I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, So now we get Jan and Sandhagen for the interim title. It's a good fight. It's a really, really good fight. Uh, I don't know. I don't quite know who to favor here. I favor Jan, actually. I should say that. I, I favor Jan. Uh, but that's a really good fight. The other fight for this card that kind of had fallen out was a fight between Rafael dos Anjos and Islam Makhachev. Well, we got a replacement for dos Anjos who had to pull out with with uh, some kind of ser- uh, fairly serious injury. In to replace him on about a month's notice, a man who just fought and just won, New Zealand's own Dan the Hangman Hooker, agreed to fight Islam Makhachev on three weeks' notice give or take. Dan Hooker is a madman. Um, I heard this other... I, I think... Uh, I believe it was Luke Thomas who mentioned this, and I think... I, I kind of agree with him. I see where he's coming from in this point. Dan Hooker is kind of filling in that role that guys like Carlos Condit uh, and a little bit uh, Donald Cerrone would fill, in that they're clearly very good. They're... They've got flaws, but they're very good, and they are down to fight under some of the least advantageous circumstances possible, and they always bring it. I mean this in all sincerity. Name a bad Dan Hooker fight. I mean, where would you How far back would you have to go? Uh, To find a bad one. Let me go back here. Maybe his fight with Jason Knight, that was his last fight at featherweight. So back in 2016. You'd have to do something like, you'd have to go back to his like featherweight, his early featherweight days in the UFC. And even then, he tended to bring it more often than not. His entire run at lightweight in the UFC has been, I mean, let me read these off. Knocks out Ross Pearson with a knee strike in the second round. Submits Mark Giacchese with a third round with a guillotine. Knocks out Jim Miller in three minutes. Knocks out Gilbert Burns with punches in, in two minutes and 28 seconds. Has that war with Edson Barboza where he's stopped in the third round. Knocks out James Vick in two and a half minutes. Beats Alaya Quinta via unanimous decision over three rounds. Has a f- five-round war with Paul Felder that he wins. Has a five-round war with Dustin Poirier that he loses. And then get stopped by Michael Chandler uh, in two and a half minutes. And then just recently had that fight with Nazareth Hackparas. Now, the Hakperas fight wasn't a barn burner, but that wasn't bad. Like, I'm serious. You can't find a bad Dan Hooker fight during his lightweight run. And I'm not entirely sure you could find one in his UFC run. I'd have to go back and really kind of dig through some of his earlier fights. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. But he's going to take a terrible stylistic matchup in the form of Islam Makashev on short notice. And it's a big fight. That's a pretty big fight for both guys. Look, Hooker has fought the much better level of opposition relative to Makashev. Right, who's the best guy that Islam Makashev has fought? Um, boy, I don't know, actually. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to dog on Islam Akasha, but let's just go through his UFC run. Uh, Beats Leo Kuntz in fairly short order in 2015. Follows that up by getting knocked out by Adriano Martins. Hasn't lost sense. Beats Chris Wade, Nick Lentz, Gleason Tebow, who he knocks out, Cajun Johnson, who he submits. Beats Armin Saruki and Davi Hamos. Then uh, submits both Drew Dober and Thiago Moises. Now there's decent names there. T-Bell was a bit on the downside when they fought. Uh, Sarukian, that might be his best win. I mean, look, beating Dober the way he did was no joke, and beating Moises pretty thoroughly over, you know, that was into the fourth round when he finished him. Like, I'm not at all saying that the man isn't und- is undeserving of his ranking. Like, you win that many fights in a row in the UFC. That's not an accident, but he has not fought the level of opposition that Dan Hooker has, and some of that's because a lot of those guys avoid him. And that's not even me calling them cowards, uh, because I, if you fight professionally for a living, you're not a coward. It's more about you know, career management. If you're ranked number, you know, seven in the world in the UFC. And they say, hey, we've got Islam Makashev sitting here at number 15 and he wants to fight. And you look at what that guy can do. Like, (laughs) you're probably not taking that fight. So I'm not saying uh, this is not me impugning anyone. A lot of guys avoided Islam Makashev for a long time. Uh, And Dan Hooker, on short notice, is going to fight that guy. So just credit to Dan Hooker being a complete animal. Like, you got to be a special kind of psycho to agree to that. (laughs) So hopefully he gets paid a lot. I mean, hopefully everyone gets paid more than they do. The UFC's not going to, but... Not in any sort of real way, I I should phrase it like that. But that's certainly a fight I'm looking forward to. I tend to agree with the odds in favor of Makashev. That's going to be a rough one for Hooker, but... If somebody can find... I'm I'm not going to sleep on the man's chances, even on, on short notice. So, uh, that's, that's kind of that. I think the other fights on the main card for this would be Magomed Ankolaev and Volk and Uzdemir, uh, as well as Ale- Alexander Volkov and Marcin Tabora. Either, either that or Ankolaev and Uzdemir is going to be on like the main event of the prelims and then Lijing, Leong, and Kamzat Shemayev is going to be on the main card. I know like half of the main card is Russian. It's a little bit crazy to look at. Yeah, uh, Corey Sandhagen is actually the only American on the main card for UFC 267, and yeah, a bunch of Russians. So anyway, that's so that's your UFC 267 update. It's a good card. I mean, there's a few duds here and there looking down the list, but on the whole, that's a pretty solid event. Let's hope it holds together. We still have to survive whatever October has to throw at us, th- as far as that goes. But, I will be covering that when it comes around. That's, uh, um, you know, on the 30th, so that'll be fun. Alright, let me check Twitter one last time, see if anything crazy is broken, and if not, I will plug the, number- the numerous things I'll be doing this week. Alright, nothing new, so, what do I have to plug? What did I do last week? Uh, In addition to the usual splate of, uh, let's see, there wasn't, no, there was not a Damn You Hollywood last week. uh, A bunch of my old episodes of Everyone Loved a Bad Guy got re-aired, so if you're interested in that, please give them a listen, I suppose. Uh, This week, Monday the 4th, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the Many Saints of Newark. The uh, sort of quasi-prequel to The Sopranos. Uh, Mark and I will be talking about that Tuesday. Oh, God. Tuesday, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for Venom 2. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I need to try and temper... Uh, my... My thoughts with that reality, but... I'm not looking forward to that movie. I am not looking forward to talking about it. So, yeah... Yeah, that'll be something. Um, I think I'm on the thing on Wednesday? Apparently there's supposed to be some kind of further roundtable discussion of Venom, I guess. I I think I'm on that, I'm not sure. I It's kind of tickling in my head that I should be on it, but I don't think I ever asked to be on it. I might be stuck hosting that though. That might be what that is. I'll confirm that before it, so either way. Uh, let's see. Friday. Um, do I have something Friday. uh pursuant to the ufc event ending on time friday will be the third fight between tyson fury and deontay wilder if the ufc event ends in time and i really hope it does uh mark ratlidge and i will be providing alternative some watch along stuff for wilder fury 3 so be on the lookout for that I fully expect commentary about uh, Fury, discussion of Fury and Wilder 3 to dominate more of the talking space this week uh, for, you know, everyone, basically, <laughs> for the combat sports world, because after Usyk beat Joshua, this is the another potential monkey wrench being thrown into things. I, I still favor Fury pretty handily, but we'll have to wait and see, so potentially be on the lookout for that. Also, my usual slate of professional wrestling coverage. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. Uh, MLW has started releasing their new Fusion Alpha program, so I will have that on Wednesday. Um, I I don't think I've got the thing Thursday. I, I, no one's told me I have it or not. I don't... One, I don't usually work Thursday evenings for 411, and two, I don't actually have Vice TV so I don't think I can watch live the uh the airing of the Fightland thing that MLW is putting over there that's uh, main evented by Alexander Hammerstone and Jacob Fatu for the MLW uh World Heavyweight title which I already know the result I'm not going to spoil it but I already know what happens because they taped it. Uh, it it's not live it's done via tape which I don't object to either but so I don't know um Yeah, that one's a little bit awkward. And then Friday, WWE SmackDown. God, not looking forward to that either. <laughs> Sorry, they just did the draft thing last week. Or they started the draft on Friday. And they not only kept a character that I really dislike. Uh, they added one that I I just hate. <laughs> not in the way you're supposed to. Like, I just, I hate Charlotte Flair. I don't know what else to tell you guys. I don't want her on my screen, ever. And she got moved to SmackDown, so now I have to deal with that, and just, God. I, I, I really don't want to. <laughs> but I will be covering that on Friday, so come by, say hello, if you're so inclined, I appreciate it, and then the UFC event on uh, Saturday. As well as potentially Fury and Wilder uh, watch-along stuff. So be on the lookout for all of that. Uh, We have a lot of stuff coming up in the month of October here. There's going to be a TV party on the 11th for the Netflix show Midnight Mass. We got the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, coming out that you better believe we'll be talking about. So uh, we got a lot of stuff. Thank you all very. I thank you all very much in advance for your uh, continued support and patronage. My other podcasting efforts can be found over at the W2M Network uh, if you're so interested. So please do give that a look and a listen. I, you know, I appreciate it all. All right. On that note, that is it for me this week. Thank you all very, very much. I will see you all back here next week for a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 52 and... Boy, the UFC is treading a lot of water for most of this month. And a preview of UFC on ESPN Plus 53 headlined by Holly Holm taking on Norma Dumont. That is... Ah. Yeah, that's that is certainly technically a series of fights on that card. We'll go into it in detail next week. Until then, I'm Robert Winfrey. Per usual, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.